it was my goal to step in, be ready, and enjoy the time because, you know, I, I think I celebrated every play, I, every tackle I made at that time because it was mm-hmm. like, you don't know. You you see that as, as an older player. I see that in young players. They every It doesn't matter if it was 10 yards downfield or in the backfield. They're celebrating every tackle. I'm like, you always want to keep that level of love for the game. You always want to keep it in touch. And I think the times that I've struggled in my, in my career, I didn't have that energy. So, you know, it, it's always been a focus of mine now to keep that level of fun and play and kind of detach from the X's and O's and let yourself play. What's up guys? Welcome to the Invictus Mindset Podcast. Today's guest is a special one. He's a longtime friend, a 10 year NFL veteran and an NFL linebacker, a Super Bowl champ and a former Super Bowl MVP, Mr. Malcolm Smith. Welcome to the show, man. Happy to be here, man. Those are some some cool accolades. It's nice to hear them every now and then. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it's it's pretty cool to uh, go down memory lane. I mean, you've had you've had a very very special NFL career, and you're you're still ticking ten years in, man. Like that's that's pretty awesome to say the least. It's definitely been a more than I was ever expecting, but it, it goes to show you the power of just consistency and, and showing up every day. You know. Yeah, um, it could take you far. I mean, what is the what is the average NFL career? I think it's what three and a half years. Yeah, if it might be less than that now, but yeah, three and a half years. So you, to think ten years for my rookie year was like out of this world to think that far away. Um, Absolutely, so, and and what's so cool is just like looking back over time. I mean. I'll share this with our listeners. I mean, we, we ran track together when we were six years old. <laughs> you got to give them the full backstory, how far back we go. Like, I should have brought a picture out because uh, I know I have one here. But um, You got to yeah, we tell them running. about that, uh, that blonde bowl cut that I was rocking back in the day, chasing you around the uh, Taft, Taft track. <laughs> <laughs> our, our dirt track that we thought was, you know, the, the greatest track in the world, the biggest track in the world. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, your boat was pretty sweet. That was pretty sweet. You should bring it back. Dude, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not above it. You know, either a bowl cut or a mullet might be might be in the works. <laughs> you got to make sure you add in the picture somewhere so people can see. Absolutely, man. I just, I just, I'm so excited to connect with you, man. Like I've just been a fan from afar for so long now. And, you know, you've played for, for six NFL teams now. Is that right? Honestly, I, I, that seems like so many. I th- uh, actually playing probably four. Yeah, maybe four, four, six. Yeah. Okay. I guess I don't know. Let's kind of, let's kind of share just just a little bit of uh, of that like you transitioning to the NFL, and then we'll kind of mm-hmm. revisit your upbringing. You know where we kind of met each other in Woodland Hills, but I mean you were the eleventh to last pick of the NFL, right? And right. your your college coach. Pete Carroll was the head coach with the Seahawks at the time, and he took a chance on you. What did that kind of mean to you in that moment of transition when you weren't sure if you were going to make it to that next level? Yeah, I was pretty pissed, honestly, because I think I was upset at the fact that I just thought that it would be a different process. I thought that I would have just I thought I would get a chance to go to the combine. I thought I would get a chance to kind of show my skills on the biggest stage and being hurt my senior year I just hoped like I went to USC maybe you know I'll still get a chance obviously I was grateful once they drafted me but to be 11 to last and some of the guys that got drafted before me I just didn't 
I, not that I didn't respect their games. I just wasn't that aware of them. I just like, how, how, what did they do so great? It was a little bit of a tough transition, but I did it gratefully, but also with a chip on my shoulder. Absolutely. I always say like, it's a mystery looking forward, but it's science looking back. And I might even argue that because of what you and I might agree is subtle disrespect of, of that kind of draft process that kind of gave you, like you said, a little bit of a chip on your shoulder, a little bit of extra fire to be like, oh, you don't think I can do this? Let me show you. And I mean, right. your work ethic has never been in question. I mean, we can look back at some of those lifting sessions, you know, at ta- in our ghetto, Taft, you know, weight room. Yeah. <laughs> Hoop lifting sessions. Those are great. That's great. That's great. That's a great memory. Yeah, it is, them. man. <laughs> those, that, that ghetto little gym that we had trying to throw around weight and fuck, man, you were strong as hell, even back in high school. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I got started a little earlier than some of you guys, some of the basketball players, you guys had to protect that jump shot. But I mean, naturally, I think that's just one of those things. Absolutely, man. And so let's kind of revisit. Let's go down memory lane a little bit. You know, you you began kind of football and track right around that like five or six age. That's when I kind of met you and you had your uh, incredible speed and the sexy bobbin head as you were running the 100 (laughs) and the 200. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, those days, I th- obviously they were foundational for, uh, you know, the future running track is one of those things. It's pure grit. Mm-hmm. It's like you learn fully applying yourself. Like, fo- like my head was bobbing as a seven, eight, nine, ten year old, because I was trying to do everything I could in my body. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily always coordinated, but that track time was great. That was so much fun with you guys. I used to have the, the worst nerves every day going to practice but I think that those days made me able to kind of walk into any setting and know that I would get through it because, you know, when you're running a race, it's like, it's just you, you, you're lining up and you want to win. You, you feel like you might be ready. You don't know how fast the guys are around you, you know, as a kid. And there's so much pride in on, on the line. Mm-hmm. So that's one of those things that I always enjoyed about it. Quick little shout out to the OG West Valley Eagles. West Valley Eagles. Some, <laughs> Some legendary runners, uh, the Allison Felix, you know, uh, Trojan also, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, anybody who who follows running should know who she is. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely reach out and see if we can have her on the show as well. And I mean, Marion Jones is another one that came from the West Valley Eagles. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great story to check out. I definitely would, would want to hear her uh, talk about her story. Absolutely. And so, you know, you, you eventually found your way to Taft. Your brother, you know, was was all world, you know, at Taft, Steve Smith, wide receiver. You know, what was it like kind of, you know, following his footsteps? I mean, he was super amazing in track, amazing in basketball. What was that like kind of following his footsteps and you kind of learning, you know, from the things that he did well and also probably from some of his mistakes, too? I I feel like his mistakes are probably what helped guide me the most and obviously his success, you know seeing someone that you grew up with, you see every day your big brother do something, you be like, I can do it too. That's what I've been doing my whole, like literally following you the whole time. So he probably took most of the lumps for any lessons that I would have learned, could have learned early. And so I guess my path is kind of an extension of his, you know, you have an older brother who's so successful in sports, goes to college, goes to the NFL. You have that recipe. I could pick up the phone and call him, you know, anytime and say, hey, xyz what what do i do 
how do I handle it? What did you do? Mm-hmm. That, that's really, really cool that you got to look up to him a little bit. And, you know, how many years did, did Steve play in the NFL? Six or seven. He ended up, he had a serious knee injury his fourth season. So it was yeah. kind of tough for him. But um, I learned from that, you know, his his rehab process and understanding, you know, the game can be gone. Mm-hmm. I learned from seeing him come home during the summers and I felt like he ran endlessly, like he trained nonstop. Mm-hmm. So to see him have success in the fall, I, I knew what it, I knew what it was. I knew what it took. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, he was an incredible asset for those, you know, famous Giants teams. And, and he has right. how many Super Bowl rings? He has one Super Bowl ring. He missed the second one, but he he has he had the first one with the uh the catch on the helmet against yep. the Patriots. Yep. Yeah. That's a famous catch too. I mean, he got drilled after receiving the ball. Like mad yeah. respect to, to to your brother Steve, man. I'm super stoked that he got to uh mentor you along the way and kind of help you in your journey as well. Because I mean, some might say like, oh, it's easier for Malcolm. You know, he got to lean on his brother and help pave the way, but it also creates expectations. You know, right. with with the DNA and all those things, and you know, expectations aren't always easy to live up to. And you know, you you definitely, especially especially in a different position, kind of paved the way for yourself as well. Right. I, I guess I saw the expectation as more like a capability. This is the opportunity that I could have. Mm-hmm. I never really saw it as a something I had to live up to. I mean, basketball, that was one thing I felt like, no, I can't play basketball like him. I don't have, <laughs> I don't, I don't have those skills. I, I, you know, I just couldn't do it. Seeing you guys play and shoot. And I was like, no chance. So you know, <laughs> I stuck to what I, I felt like I had a good chance at doing, but again, I only saw it as, as, uh, as opportunity. I, I think if you get to looking at the expectations too much, you know, the mountain can get too high. You, you never get started, you know? And I, I think that's great for our listeners to kind of hear with this being a, a podcast, a lot about mindset. You know, I think it's really cool that you look at expectations as opportunities. And, you know, hopefully a lot of our listeners can kind of take that nugget and apply that to their own life as well. But I also think it was really cool that even though like basketball wasn't like your forte or something you were looking to do in the future, it was like a cool thing for you to dabble in a little bit, you know, track and football being, you know, your, your primary sports. And then dabbling a little bit with basketball in the offseason, which, I mean, A, it's fun. B, it's going to enhance a little bit of lateral movement, which is going to translate to your sport. And also, it's not going to lead to all those overuse injuries of just doing the same thing all the time. And we see that a lot in CrossFit. You know, part of the prescription is learn and play new sports. And almost all of the great athletes within the top of the sport of CrossFit played almost everything as kids. And so yeah. I think that definitely translated to some of your athletic development as well. Yeah, it, it's balanced, obviously, and keeping your mind fresh and fun and play. We're moving your body is a, it's, it's a fun thing to do. You know, you get to explore yourself. You get to explore your environment or whatever, the, the ball, the skill. And that's why I always love basketball, because it's so fluid. It's, it's so much fun. And you can be good at basketball doing a ton of different things. You can, you know. You could still be useful on the court. If I, mm-hmm. you know, if I, I couldn't shoot, but I could rebound, I could defend, mm-hmm. I could run. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was still able to find a way on the team. I don't know if it was just because the coach was <laughs> even letting me. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to be a part of what you guys were doing on playing basketball. It's, it's just a love of the game. Just watching the game as a kid, even if I wasn't good, I just, I've always loved it. That's awesome, man. So you experienced a relatively serious injury, you know, in your, within your high school career. 
What was that kind of like overcoming that injury? What was that injury for our listeners? And, and what was kind of going through your headspace, you know, as you're, you know, junior year, you're like super successful, getting all these offers from, you know, a wide variety of schools and then boom, experience a, a pretty horrific injury. Yeah. It slowed me, it slowed me down. I mean, it was a, a really, really bad high ankle sprain. I mean, it doesn't sound terrible because not with modern medicine, but this is like pre foam roller, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. when we had this and I, we didn't have the best training staff or I don't know if we had a training staff. I don't even think we did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my, my rehab consisted of, there was a guy around the corner from my house that had a PT facility. He would let me come in like 6am in the morning and use his little tub and he would flush my ankle with his hands and I would do some pumps and and that was kind of it. But that was my first experience with not being able to play. And the biggest thing I felt like was I felt like I let the team down by not being available, which was pretty hard to deal with as a, as a young kid when you have so much expectations, not only yourself, but you feel like, you know, your team can't go as far without you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I recognize in that moment, obviously, you know, being available is, is how you help your team. You, you can't, you got to be able to take care of yourself. You got to understand. And also injuries are part of sports. Like, it's tied into the process of getting better. No matter what kind of level of activity you're doing, part of the fun is being at risk a little bit and, and the ability to come back from those things and, and battle back and uh, learning about that process and, and committing yourself to that. So I've, I've had, I think, 10 surgeries now at, the, at this point, playing sports and, and just trying to figure out how to, one, advance yourself mentally and see things from a different view when you're out, at the same time, dedicating yourself to your rehab and coming back is, is it's hard to come back better, but come back is just as good as you left. Mm-hmm. I, I love some of those little nuggets that you dropped there, but I think you also leaned a little bit into like, hey, I, I, I can only control the controllable. And so, I mean, you, you, I remember in high school, you know, you leaning into the weight room a little bit more, especially with upper body things. And that, that was something that you could control at the time. And you were definitely one of the bigger and stronger running backs, at least when you came back and obviously playing linebacker, which is what you play now. And so I thought that was really cool that, you know, as opposed to focusing on what you couldn't do, you focused on what you could do. And I thought that was a really cool takeaway. And I mean, it still enabled you camaraderie with your teammates too. You got to get in the weight room and, you know, talk some smack with them and still, you know, keep the, keep the brotherhood and the live, the livelihood of the team, which is always super fun. Right. That, I mean, that was that was the best part of the team, even though, I, you know, I wasn't able to play, but it's still I, I can be involved. I can still compete, you know, in, in this certain area um, as far as lifting goes and trying to get my name on a board or, or get some recognition was always always fun for me. Mm-hmm. When you did uh, eventually come back, you know, in high school, what did that kind of look like? How did you assimilate back on the team and how did you uh, mentally kind of process being back out there after overcoming that high ankle sprain? I wasn't perfect. I came back probably 67%. I literally limped back out there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, as you know, if you're one of your better high school sports or athletes, you know, going to the next level, you have a little bit of leeway to do that. So I kind of limped my way back out there, but it was just great to be back involved, take some of the pressure off my teammates. Cause, you know, it's my senior year, junior year, we wanted to win. And I felt like I was an asset. 
is just snapping your mind back and trying to get back involved. And luckily, you know, the coach was not uh, shy about it. He, he used me the same way. He gave me the ball and he was like, go, go do what you can. Still one of our better options. That's cool, man. Let's take a moment to uh, celebrate some of the amazing athletes that have come out of Taft High School. Right. I mean, right. Who, are, who are some of the great athletes that you got to play with? You, Bryce Smith, playing basketball. No. Uh, <laughs> had, uh, I, for me, it was Jeshua Anderson was probably the most impressive athlete to, to, just to see develop from where he started. Uh-huh. Um, and he's no because, now he, he he ran track at Washington State yeah, and then he eventually he, competed in what the the 400 meter hurdles is, is that right yeah 400 meter hurdles he went to he was uh in Olympic trials mm-hmm. he got 10th I think to go and race in the Olympic to go to the, the to the Olympics mm-hmm. um that day so he 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 didn't qualify for the Olympics by one place mm-hmm. but to see him go from this skinny scrawny kind of huge hands and huge feet not very coordinated to throughout our high school career getting our senior year he's the fastest athlete in the state in the hurdles he you know he, he clears hurdles and and, and look, makes it look magical mm-hmm. so to see his body develop that also made me realize like okay because you can't see yourself right mm-hmm. but you can see the people around you and, and their commitment and they and it gives you like an idea of okay, if I apply myself with the same consistency, if I can get half those results, it's going to be great. And this was going into my, obviously we, we ran together, me and him, our, mm-hmm. our entire high school career. Mm-hmm. Um, but even watching him in college, going to see him as a freshman and going to see him as a sophomore and his body change and his cadence change, just another person that I was like, wow. you know, mm-hmm. That type can, of development is so cool. Right, like it right. is so cool because obviously you can make the argument there's there's a little bit of just like maturity right going through puberty around that time or just like fully developing a little bit but it's more than that like it's development of the craft it's development of the mindset and it's the will to want to be great right right and he he had that tenfold and his dedication to the diet and stuff was something he did that early. Mm-hmm. So he was, he was one of the better athletes. Obviously we had Garrett green playing basketball my senior year. You had some great athletes on your team. There were so many to, to mm-hmm. name Darian Weems who also played in the NFL. Steve Smith played in the NFL, my brother. Uh, I mean, even to, to this day, I know his career didn't pan out the way we would have liked, but Jameer Holland was one of the greatest athletes I have ever seen. Yeah. State record holder, all-time record holder as a high school sprinter. Yeah. I mean, what was, it, what was his time in the 100-meter sprint on a dirt track? I think he was, like, in the high 10s. Low t- no, 10-3. He was, like, 10-3 on a dirt track. For people that are listening, like, 10-3 on a dirt track in high school, like, that is just ridiculous. Yeah. You know, like, Jameer Holland, you know, you guys can Google him and kind of look him up, like, his career didn't pan out perfectly, but he was an amazing track athlete, amazing football player, got a scholarship to SC, didn't work out, transferred to Oregon, didn't work out. You know, that, that, that's just a little glimpse into, you know, some of the amazing athletes that have come out of Taft and also just a glimpse into the world. Like there's so many great athletes out there that, you know, don't make it to the level that you've made it. And you, you've mentioned quite often in our podcast so far, the term consistency. And it's yeah. like... It's easy to be a, a one-hit wonder, but it's hard to be in the in the grind consistently, especially in NFL for ten years when you're getting just the hell beat out of you, and all yeah. the all, all the travel and all the, 
you know, you got to know the playbook and every year your role may change a little bit. Like there's mm-hmm. a, there, there's a definitely a lot to unpack in there. And so what were some of the schools that, that offered you scholarships towards the tail end of your high school career? Pretty much everybody that I was interested in. So from Florida to Michigan, Notre Dame, Oregon, I was very fortunate, obviously going to Taft at that time, uh, we had a lot of eyes on us. So mm-hmm. pretty much every school that I was interested in, except Miami was, was mm-hmm. offering at the time. So I took a visit to Notre Dame and I loved the campus, loved the school. It just was too far. It wasn't as exciting as being in Southern. It's hard to leave Southern California as a Southern yeah, California key. Uh-huh. USC was right there. I was so familiar. I was familiar with the staff. You know, they had been in my living room at, as when I was 11, you know, recruiting my brother and stuff. So uh-huh. it was just a, a really comfortable place. And I knew that they had the people in place that would allow me and help me grow as a person, as a man, and, and competitively as a player that were always going to push that. It was a great environment. We had a ton of great athletes that went there and we played with the great mindsets. Obviously, Pete Carroll stills, you know, he's he's the best motivator probably in all the sports as far as maximizing his players attention to the game, ability to get the most out of themselves. I think historically he's proven that. And, and that was a great place for me to be to kind of recognize those things. What makes him a great motivator? I've always read about him that he brought the philosophy of like next man up, right? If you're not mm-hmm. performing next man up. So you kind of, in some ways, always had this chip on your shoulder or was it an element of fear? Like when you have no choice, you're going to figure it out. Like what was it about his motivating strategies? I feel like, no, the one thing about Pete Carroll is he's incredibly positive. Like I, I feel like you, 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 you think about a Bill Belichick, he might be using fear as a motivator, but Pete was more of a positive let's compete let's go see who's the best let's go push each other to get better let's let's toe the line with competitive edge let's let's push it as far as we can mentally mindset everything counts like it wasn't a fear tactic because it was more like he put you in a bunch of one-on-one situations you knew you were going to win and you knew you were going to lose it was about how you came out of it and how we did it so consistently that when we went to go play other teams we tried to make them look like they were, weren't in the same league. So in college, that was kind of the message. I think you saw at USC's, his, their, their run with him there. He, the teams were just different. That You mm-hmm. just competed at a higher level. And I think there's, there's other coaches that have had similar success on the field, but people that played under Coach Carroll and then go play, again, play for another coach, you know, they always have a ton of respect for his, just the mindset he, he helps get you every day. Mm-hmm. I also think that, um, you know, we, we talked briefly on the concept of fun and play. And I think he brought that where it was, it wasn't always X's and O's. It's like, Hey, just go be an athlete. And I think that, I I think sometimes like, you know, as coaches, you, you, you definitely get into the, the, the technique conversations or you try to out science things. And at the end of the day, like we're all animals go out there and just be you. Right. You want to get the, the cues and the science of things to where they become second nature. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you, you see that all the time. It became second. It, that's when you're at your best, when you're in the absence of thought, right? Mm-hmm. When you're performing, when you're, when you're competing, yep. you're not, uh, let me get my feet like this or my hands like, you know what I mean? You can't, mm-hmm. it's hard to do both to give your, your best effort and be focused on those, those minuscule things. So we did so much, obviously repetition, practice, 
competing, putting ourselves in a ton of different situations that you're just mentally ready. You were, mm-hmm. you, you were so ready and you had the utmost confidence and he had the most confidence in you. So you felt like he never asked you to do something that you weren't capable of. And that was a huge reason why we were able to be successful in bigger stages mm-hmm. because it was our normal practice routine. Like if you could see some of the things that we did in practice as compared to what you saw in the game, you'd be like, oh, that's, it's, not, it's not that crazy. Like I saw crazy catches every day. Mm-hmm. I saw Richard Sherman do crazy things as a, as a cornerback mm-hmm. in practice every day. Russell Wilson running around in practice. So to get in the games and stuff, and it just was simple, easy. Mm-hmm. I also love that, you know, you mentioned you didn't just pick SC because of football. You also picked it because you saw that that could be a place where you could truly develop as a man. And I think that's a credit to, you know, your character, your upbringing, your parents, what was the family dynamic like? You know, obviously your parents gave you a rock solid foundation for you and your brother to kind of layer upon. And also, I'm sure they were stoked that, you know, they that you were staying close to home so they could go support you. Yeah. So, I mean, my mom and my dad were separated, but my dad kind of gave us that love of sport. He was a huge basketball fan, still a huge basketball fan. My, my parents were high school sweethearts from Chicago, so they moved here and my dad would pick us up and take us to Balboa Park at like 6 a.m. to play from when I was probably six years old, you know. Wow. The same. So my brother was playing and I would just be dribbling on the side, obviously, but my brother would be 10 years old, was playing with, with men at the park and we played like six to eight. And we literally did that for probably until he got to high school, till, mm-hmm. till my brother got to high school. So for almost a decade. Mm-hmm. And it just gave us the foundation. My, my dad was an early riser always. He, uh, was in the military for a while. So would come pick us up, take us, he'd get his coffee and we'd be out there. Like we learned to drive in the parking lot at, at Balboa Park, <laughs> you know, cause it was empty. We learned to compete and talk a little trash at the park, you know, with mm-hmm. grown men from, from my dad and my uncles, them playing. So that was kind of our love of sport. And my mom was, you know, she, she had us every day. So she was on us. She was working by herself. She would, you know, we, we lived in, we moved from, like Van Nuys to Reseda to to Northridge, but we always came to school over here in Woodland Hills. So she because mm-hmm. she worked at in Woodland Hills. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, she would take us in the car every morning, drive us, drop us off to the to, you know, better schooling programs, uh, magnet programs, whatever. But she did that consistently for from six on. She was there at booster meetings. She was there selling, I don't know if you remember, my mom was there selling uh t-shirts and stuff at mm-hmm. lunch at time. Yep. Um, you know, so she was always involved. She always had a, a thumb on the pulse of the team. She always knew who was who she had to look out for, you know, mm-hmm. uh, being around her sons. And she defended us like, you know, mama cub style or mama bear style, like against anything she could. So I think that us seeing her and her ability to work so hard and pour into us so much and even pour into other kids, like, you know, trying to do uh, meetings for people to get their FAFSA situation right for, you know, mm-hmm. parents who, who may not have spoke English or they just didn't know the process of getting their kids into college or junior college. She, mm-hmm. it was important to her. That that was the most important thing for her to try to help. So that always been a motivator because, you know, you, somebody puts that much effort into you, you, you want to make sure that, you know, you recognize those things and not going uh, unseen. You, you, not that you're competing and producing for them, but the same passion they pour into you, you can pour it into something you love. Mm-hmm. So 
that was kind of our, my upbringing with, with my parents and that's kind of the foundation but it's still to this day it's what I'm trying to give to my kids you know we're, we're trying to explore and figure out what they like what they don't like mm-hmm. what they're comfortable what can I expose them to that they're not comfortable with that we can get over so it's going to be a fun process absolutely what's your what's your favorite part about being a parent so far you got two beautiful little girls honestly since we try to eat pretty healthy for me it's always getting to share like a sweet treat with my kids and this oh that's cool appreciate it their faces are like oh this is amazing (laughs) Um, so that that's been great and obviously just just seeing them develop interest in things like oh you like that like let's do that some more than if you like it so yeah. that's been fun i'm looking forward to it once you get out of diapers it gets it gets fun it gets easy yeah and uh i can start dadding you know really yeah really that's cool <laughs> <laughs> when you're on tv and playing does your wife niece point so the kids can see you and be like hey that's daddy out there yeah nova my the older one she thinks uh every time football's on TV, she thinks, look, daddy, it's just like you. And, and there goes your brothers. <laughs> there goes your brothers. <laughs> that's, that's so cool, man. I love that. <laughs> watching Super Bowl, or Super Bowl, you know, commercials like, yeah, just like you, daddy. And I'm like, yeah, we actually could have been there, but you know, we came up short. This time. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool, man. And so you had this amazing college football career playing at SC, but when you first got there, you went from being a star at Taft high school so playing a little bit more of a reserve role in special teams with SC, what was that like? And what, what kind of hunger did that develop in you to want to be a starting linebacker? It was a super competitive environment. And like the first thing that Pete Carroll said to me, I remember uh, like in the first meeting setting. So he would challenge you and, and, you know, in front of your teammates mm-hmm. and be like, he was like, um, are you going to redshirt? Are you going to, are you going to come and play and, and make a difference like your brother did? <laughs> So he like kind of <laughs> his plan so he got seen early. Like to trying to motivate you, and it was like he, he's he's got his button on young. It's like the psychology of young people and understanding what to press and who and how to get to know them. Um, and this is after obviously he got to know me for a couple of weeks, and mm-hmm. that was something that kind of I don't want to say it got under my skin, but it definitely motivated me. Like okay, it might have been better for me to redshirt at that point. You know, take a year and figure everything out. But I was so concern that I wanted to prove it to that I could you know that mm-hmm. I could compete at that level and uh, I mean you I also so. made a really good difference on special teams I remember you you know getting out there and making some really prime tackles on special teams so it's not like you were just out there running like you were out right. there like trying to make sure they remembered your name and your number yeah, yeah yeah I mean that was one thing I always have played the game to you know you want your competitor to respect you you know mm-hmm. who you're competing against you want them to look at you after the game and, and have respect for the way you play the game, the efforts you put into it. You know what I mean? You wanted them to feel your presence a little bit. And even still to this day, that's like my number one motivator playing mm-hmm. the game. But that was one of those things, you know, even if it's a small role, specialty teams, it's not something you're familiar with. You don't really do it in high school if you're one of the better players on the team, I guess. But it's one of those things you want to earn your way. I had Clay Matthews and Brian Cushing and all these amazing first round draft picks in front of me. So it was like, we met in a tiny 10 by 10 room every day uh-huh. at lunch. And we would sit on our coach's couch and he was a former NFL player and he would sit there and basically pit us against each other. <laughs> who was going to make a difference in this, on this team? Who, who was, who was willing to be 
the big dog who's going to step up at all these moments and as a freshman I'm coming in I'm sitting in there with 22 year old men like about to go to the NFL who have their dreams right there on the line how do you earn their respect how do you get them to say you know he deserves to be here this mm-hmm. is we're at the prime of, of college football at the time and I think that was one of the things that I really enjoyed that I could be in that environment and I may not have thrived from the beginning, but I was I was building to get to that point. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a gradual thing, but it, it was an awesome place to be at the time. Mm-hmm. Did you have any moments, you know, in in some of those competitive environments with Brian Cushing and Clay Matthews, where like you just didn't perform? You left practice, you know, one day. Like, did you have a low moment where you're like, oh man, I don't know if I can hang with these guys? <sighs> Every day, almost. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, that was the one thing you knew you were going to lose. They lost. I mean, you know, those they had to compete against Reggie Bush. So you knew you were going to lose. And that's why it's fun going to trying to compete against the best or just be around some of the, you know, the the, the best level of competitors every day because mm-hmm. you're going to get to measure your success and you're going to get to measure your failures. Like, so when you fail, even if you fail a little bit, you didn't, you know, fall completely flat on your face or you came back again, mm-hmm. you showed up again. I'm sure you have people that come in and, and have set goals. And if you get them to set a goal that, that you can hold them accountable to come back and, and answer to it. So that was the good part about it. You fail, you win, you lose, you learn. That's cool. I, lo- I love that you look at it that way. Was there a defining moment within you know the beginning of your college career where like you realized that you earned the respect of your teammates you're like okay I finally got it now I'm going to take this momentum and I'm going to run with it I'd say that it was it was small victories I never really had a moment where I was like okay now everybody respects you 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 know Uh you're with guys every day you have to show that consistency to earn that respect I think maybe maybe outside I might've had a moment where, you know, you, you make a great play that really helps the team or even playing special teams, a, a big tackle, a swing momentum in your favor. And you might get some respect from that, from that, but that never really, I, it never really registered to me, honestly, Bryce, because I was so focused on the smallest things and I kind of have always been. And I think maybe that's why I've been able to, to go further or maybe, you know, that's why I've been able to get to this point. Cause there's, there was more talented athletes probably, on our high school team, obviously, you know, there, there mm-hmm. were. And the only probably difference-making factor for me was the small things, the, 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 the consistent details and, and being able to see things from a different angle. Mm-hmm. Let's give a glimpse for our listeners into the life of a college athlete. That has to be very, very challenging. I mean, I remember for college basketball, it's like you have weights in the morning, class, practice, rehab, film study hall and it's like it, that, it's a full-time job like what what was that kind of like for you you know day after day the life of a college athlete I think it was it was really challenging for me because I, I wanted to, to do stuff in the school like I never I never knew that I was going to play in the NFL you know what I'm saying it wasn't ever a thought of mine so was, you, you got to focus on school but the the, de- the demands of the sport are so high it's so hard to be consistent at that age to feed yourself to hydrate to eat to take care of your body like the things that you actually need to be doing especially at that time I felt like I just didn't have the knowledge or awareness so a lot of it was stumbling around and getting to practice and stumbling out and trying to you know get homework done get assignments done have relationships with my my teammates and other students you know it's really hard to 
engage with other students because you spend so much time like you don't get you don't get the obviously the normal college experience your your, your college experience is awesome but it's really hard to find time to relate to your classmates but it, it was a good time i mean we at that time we didn't we weren't allowed to even get free meals from the school like so i was hungry all the time i was yeah, trying to find sure. how was i gonna eat you know how was i i'll, I'll just just stuff that that shouldn't have been a concern at the time um trying to manage time which is not really possible mm-hmm. but manage yourself within that time it was a challenge it was it's much easier in the nfl i'll tell you that much yeah i'm sure uh feel free to decline this but i do want to I, I do want to pick your brain do you think college athletes should be compensated um it's a heavy conversation that you can weigh and measure both sides quite a bit but i feel like it's it's starting to come to the surface a little bit more and people are starting to kind of debate this a little bit more. I don't think there's a fair way to compensate all college athletes, Uh but I do think that certain athletes deserve, they should be able to get paid from outside sources. If the school doesn't pay them like the marketing stuff, if you're a Heisman trophy candidate, or if you're, you know, an incredible uh, sand volleyball player and you play in LA or, you got a ton of attention on you. You should be able to get paid from that. Why not? Absolutely. Have you ever watched uh, the show, The Shop on HBO with LeBron and all those guys where they debate? I've seen, I've seen a couple episodes. I don't think I saw the episode where they talked about the, the college sports. Okay. Definitely like in your off season, check that out. It literally reminds me of like back in the day when we were just sitting around lunch table, just like you know, having a fun debate and like everybody gets heated about it. Like it, it'll be a fun one for you, you and some of your buddies to kind of discuss. So you, you have this awesome college career as well. And I think you had a really like notable interception against USC or sorry, against UCLA that you returned for like 62 or 64 yards. And that's kind of like what started to raise people's eyebrows. Like this guy might be within the conversation to make it to the NFL. You know, what, what did that kind of mean against your, you know, Archtown rival to get that interception? Like, what was the locker room like after that? Like, I was just so stoked for you when that, that event took place. I'll tell you before that game week. So, and at the Coliseum, you come out, both locker rooms are basically next to each other. You come out the same tunnel. Okay. And this is a crosstown rivalry that's pretty heated. You don't really show up on each other's campuses. At that time, there wasn't a lot of friends between teams. It was a different, social media didn't exist. So we didn't, you know what I mean? It was it was only hate tweets between each other. So we kind of had a little scuffle with them in the locker room or in the tunnel. Both teams drawing at each other, like getting really excited, a couple pushes thrown. And we go out there and we're, you know, they had a, a this is a particular plan for this quarterback. He was kind of a mobile quarterback. I was the spy, basically. I was my job was to just following around the whole game, and he was moving like he was gonna run, but he had this look, and he just threw the ball a little haphazardly, and I I picked it off, took it to the crib, and guys went nuts. But for me, it was like <laughs> since I was always an offensive player, you know, as a young player, it's always my goal to try and score a touchdown for the defense. So I was hyped. Obviously, I'm blowing kisses to the crowd, UCLA, the rivalry. Mm-hmm. Uh, campus after that was nuts you know obviously the, the students the girls on campus obviously are like oh yeah <laughs> so, I, was I was feeling myself a little bit that game it was, it was definitely a good time that's cool man were there other main highlights throughout your college career that are notable to you that you'd like to share 
I feel like for me, it was all about coming back from an injury. I got hurt a lot in college. I mean, I know now why I just wasn't taking care of myself physically that, I, that you know, I didn't have the knowledge. What were some but, of the injuries that you kind of experienced and overcame in college? I had a, a, a condition called, I have a condition called achalasia. So my esophagus shut down after my freshman year and I had to get surgery. They basically just opened it up. It turned from a muscle to now it's just a, like a tube. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if I was going to come back and be able to play after that because there was no known reports of, you know, guys doing this successfully at college level or the pro level, pretty rare disease. So battling back from that, coming back my junior year and, uh, you know, getting a start and playing well and going throughout the year and was awesome. And then getting to my senior year, I got hurt in like the third, like our biggest game against Stanford on like the third play of the game. And I was out for, I want to say six or seven games. So it was very similar to my my high school career, getting injured. Uh, what what was player. that injury against Stanford? I had a, a really bad MCL sprain. Okay. It was just the timing of it was it just heartbreaking. Like for football fans, Ronnie Lott was in the tunnel before the game. We're going to play Stanford. It's like they were like the number, they were a top five team. And I felt really good about the plan. And I made a great play. And I rolled and leg whipped into somebody in my knees. Mm. And it was bad. And I'm like sitting there. I tried to like, I couldn't even walk. We lost the game. <laughs> it was just a low moment for like six or seven weeks. And I'm trying to figure out like, how am I going to make it to the NFL if I can't make it through, you know, a consistent college season? How come mm-hmm. I keep getting in these crucial moments, even thinking back to high school? I feel like at that time is when mentally I learned to just push through. Like you can't control when you get hurt, what happens. I mean, you you can put your best efforts into it, all the inputs you can. And sometimes bad stuff happens and you got to be able to deal with it. Are you going to continue or not? And that basically was it. That was kind of the point where I said, you got to keep going. So I did that, finished my senior year. And that's how we got to the whole draft process. And even Uh still like last year, you know, getting to later in my career, I dealt with the same things and having to get to that same spot and make those same decision. Mm-hmm. Are you going to continue or not? Are you going to push through or not? Mm-hmm. I think it's so cool that you you took the time to really develop your your mental wherewithal and your maturity in those in those moments. You know, because what's the easy thing to do to run and hang it up? And, you know, you started realizing that you needed to take care of your body a little bit differently. And so leading up to the NFL draft, you started working with a close friend of ours, Mike G. And, um, you know, he prepared you for some of the, the different tests within the NFL combine. What was that experience like? And what did you learn working with Mike G? So Mike was, he was obviously, we were both younger than almost a decade, a little more. You know. So we worked very closely together, body position, paying attention to details that I just had never noticed. That's, this is when I kind of, you know, you, you become aware of your body how to get it to perform every day. And when you're training for the combine, it's like every day counts. You have this, this runway of time before you're on stage and presented to, you know, see, make your dreams come true, basically, you know, open the door and get to the door. And how do you look? How do you perform? If you don't do well, you know, there's no changing it. The things that I did on that day are still grading scale for me to this day. So he just taught me so much about, we talked about body position. We talked about just non-conventional strength and conditioning, putting your body in positions that are, you know, similar to your sport and can replicate some of the movements you'll make and, and doing the testing, how to find an advantage there, 
and working with those guys, I think it was four or five months during that time, just honing my speed, being extremely explosive at that time, like mm-hmm. amazing amounts of working with, uh, that was the first time we used, I swam and weights and uh, air resistance training and so many different things that we were doing that I had never done before to put your body in kind of in the blender mm-hmm. and come out of different person mike mike was great yeah he, he's coined the phrase every time i've spent time with him the best ability is availability and yeah. what i love is he takes into consideration different planes of motion he's not this big meathead guy that's going to load you with a ton of weight all the time he understands rotational things he understands deceleration he understands how to utilize the resistance of water to create a slightly different stimulus. That's not always going to beat, beat your body up, which you get enough of that in your sport. He's just a really well-versed strength and conditioning guy. He's really fun to talk shop with. And, you know, I'm stoked that he was able to connect with you. And then you later connected him with me. And like, I, I also, am just a big fan of what he's done for Drew, Justin and Aaron holiday in the NBA. He's done a great job with those guys as well. And now you're seeing some of the work that he's doing with Anthony Davis, which is very, very cool as well. The guy's really well-versed and I'm stoked to see his development as a, a strength and conditioning coach. Yeah, he's, he's incredible, man. He's, he always pushes the limits because he's always learning. He's always uh-huh. seeking feedback and information. And even when you're, you're training with him, he's looking for feedback. You know, are, you, are we getting the most out of these reps? Let's not, let's not miss a chance to optimize, you know, uh-huh. let's have a conversation about it. Even throughout the season, I'm texting him and trying to figure out what days, should I load my body? What days do I need to push, try to get, you know, peak speed and stuff like that. And he's always, he's got, he's got great information for me. He's got great feedback. We can always lay it out and kind of stagger things, whatever, whatever needs to be done. He can find a way for us to, to get the most out of it. And I appreciate that from him so much. Mm-hmm. What was your uh, 40 time at the combine? I mean, you're a big dude, what, six, six feet, 225. I was probably 230 on that day. I think I ran, I ran four, four. Nice. I mean, for, for, for people listening, you're, you're, that, that's really fast for how big you are, man. Yeah, it's, it's very fast. And I didn't think that it was that much of a difference, but you know, the margin of error in the NFL is so small. The mm-hmm. difference is so small. So if you, one, are able to unlock that speed mentally, because you got to know when, when to go and then have that. I mean, it, it's definitely a tool, even in my age now, I'm, holding on to whatever I've got left is still useful. <laughs> and let, let's chat about that, man. Like, I mean, we, we chatted a lot about your upbringing, your high school and your college career, but I mean, you're considered a really well-renowned NFL veteran now, you know? And I think, I think that's really freaking cool. You know, I know you're not an old guy, you know, you're, th- you're 31. 31. Yeah. 31. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're 31, <laughs> you're still young, you're still, you're still kicking it, but you know, you, you, you get this start, you know, with, with the Seahawks, you get this opportunity. Pete Carroll takes a chance on you. You're the 11th to last pick. You know, what, what was that experience like, you know, getting with the Seahawks and seeing, like you mentioned, Richard Sherman and some of these other big dogs? Well, we were in the same class. So, so many of those guys, we started off together as young players. And all of us had a story of why we felt like, I don't know, we deserved more recognition or, you know, I don't know why, just we had this, we had a chip and I think Pete stroked that. He stroked that fire in us to have a chip and play with a chip, but it was awesome. I, I think 
you you learn so much being a professional moving to a new city i'm away from home for the first time i can make my own schedule i have the freedom to optimize and uh analyze myself as much as i want when i want you know or mess up and, and you know do whatever i want to do so the the best part of that time was just the freedom the ability to to choose and go and do and learn and, and being in seattle is, is a beautiful city uh, i had to adjust to the rain i had to adjust to this is different you know the, mm -hmm. the evergreens and all that stuff so it was fun meeting anisa there it was it was great those first couple of years mm -hmm. how did you kind of hone in like discipline with regards to your schedule and how you were going to fit all the things in that you needed in order to like you mentioned optimize everything that you wanted to do within your craft uh i just copied the guys that i liked <laughs> honestly hey there's um, nothing wrong with that yeah that's absolutely i think that you know it doesn't get as much respect as it should finding basically sources of mentorship whether it was my peers one of my another guy i got drafted with was kj Wright. he's still actually playing as well he's just had a great season he was just so dedicated like and it's not like he was he was getting any more different or different information than i was we had every meeting every session together he knew like okay i need to get my rest i can't go hang out twice a week and then show up on sunday and, and play well so i learned that from him like okay well I guess we're going to stay in or right, you want to play video games instead we'll, you know we'll play cards or do whatever and over time you just saw the difference compared to some of the other guys that were doing other things uh -huh. some of the older guys you know I, I watched i would see their routines during the week do they get massages how do they come in the building every day they smell like liquor do they how do they practice what kind of effort do they put in after practice do are, are they in the ice tub hot tub they contrast and they're rolling out they, are they getting treatment and as a young player, those that's when I picked up on the little things from copying uh -huh. other people uh -huh. and trying to roll them into myself as much as I could. What did your your nutrition kind of look like at that time? Were you cooking yourself? Did you hire a chef? Was it, you know, eating out? What what did it kind of look like for you in the beginning? First year, I felt like I had a couple of staple restaurants that I would go to. Uh -huh. But by my second year, I was pretty much I had someone cooking for me. Smart. And eating obviously all the meals I could for free at the facility when I could. Mm -hmm. And I, I never really was a bad eater, just had to watch the sweets a little bit. I learned I learned the difference of how I felt eating one way versus another way and trying to perform and compete and be my best. Even days of the week, I could feel, oh, this is a this Thursday feels different than the last Thursday because of whatever I did. Mm -hmm. um, you start to pay attention to those things. The season is so long, you get a lot of feedback. What was it like, you know, for the first time, you know, having, as you mentioned, this freedom, this independence, but also your bank account changes a lot. What yeah. was the financial responsibility? You know, did people start hitting you up like, hey, bro, can you help me out? Or, you know, was it you kind of just sticking to your guns and developing discipline? And did you hire like a financial advisor? What, what did that kind of look like for you? I mean, obviously I had a, my brother's experience to lean on as well as some of the guys around me at the time, but uh, constantly, you know, people reaching out for, can you help me start this business? Or can you help me do this? Or can you loan me? Blah, blah, blah. And it was like, sometimes you just got to uh, separate and, you know, find the calm in your head. There's certain people you want to take care of. Obviously, you want to make sure your family's okay. And nobody needs anything on that front. But I was, a like I said, 11th to last draft pick. I didn't know if I was going to get paid uh, next year damn the next week there were days where i thought okay tomorrow i'm getting cut for sure like mm -hmm. 
I had bad games, even in a small role. But I felt like my difference was, you know, the reason we lost. I didn't know if I was going to have a job the next day because you mm-hmm. saw it. You saw guys get fired every day. So I wasn't a huge spender. I had obviously you got to buy your essentials and I love some sneakers. But for the most part, I was pretty chill. And it wasn't it wasn't like it is now. Guys, are, guys spend crazy money as young players now. But mm-hmm. It just, it, I was an economics major. I knew, uh, I knew where that led. That's really cool that you developed that discipline and that wherewithal. Cause you, you realize that there's going to be another chapter one day. Right. That's very now, cool. Let me, have, let me have a head start if that happens tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But I also want to take a moment to kind of throw some love to your circle, the cream team from high school, right? Like, you know, Monty, Caesar, Darian, that whole crew that, you know, one thing that I think is is really cool about you, you know, separating from football is just this incredible humility, but dedication to fostering and building relationships. Where did that, you know, how were you able to kind of maintain that throughout being busy with, you know, fostering your relationship with Anissa and, you know, having kids and developing your, your career of 10 years now? How were you able to maintain all these relationships? Oh, well, I knew that those people knew me the best, the people that I, I, I grew up with. I always felt like any success I had or they had, it was partly because of one another, because of the the feedback and friendship that we have with each other. I mean, you know, Caesar, like he's been there since the beginning of time almost for me. So absolutely. For those um, of you listening, Caesar yeah. and Monty are just some friends that Malcolm and I kind of grew up with that um yeah. they've just been along all, the the entire time. And you know, they're doing some cool things with regards to the real estate and the entertainment space. And, you know, kind of collaborating a little bit with Malcolm. And I, I just think it's so cool that you've been able to maintain those relationships. And you guys can, it, it's really cool to observe and also to have been a part of for a little while of like, you guys have the ability to like have your laughing moments where it's like, you're just being boys, but you also have your moments of like stepping back and be like, Hey man, I got to have a heart to heart, like a serious conversation with you. And I think it's really yeah. cool, the growth and the development and the support because you know, I've seen it time and time again, guys get into your shoes and they big time their friends, right? And they kind of move off and like, you've never been that way, which is super cool to me. Right. I know that I can depend on them to, you know, be honest with me. Mm-hmm. They can depend on me to be honest with them. And it's just one of those things. I just, I love my relationship with my friends. It's like the most important thing to me mm-hmm. outside of my relationship with my family, obviously. Mm-hmm. It's, they are my, you know, those are the, that's the family that I choose. Uh-huh. So it's always about fostering those relationships. And it, even as they become fathers now and, and some of their priorities shift and I want to hang out and they can't, or, you know, I got kids and they're making noise so we can't come, come over here and make, get in the way. It's like, we still got to find time to spend with each other because that's what it's about. And that, and that community feel is what helps you stay sane when you're surrounded by all the, your things, all the things that are important to you. How, how can you see the world from another lens without a friend, you know? Uh-huh. And that's some of the, the perspective that they bring to me and I hopefully bring to them. I, I think it's really special and, you know, nothing but love for all you guys, man. And so that first season with the Seahawks, you know, you're, you're kind of developing through and, you know, playing a little bit more of a reserve role. And then was it the first year when you guys went to the Super Bowl and some of the, the, the players ahead of you started getting hurt and you got to play a little bit more? Or was it your second year? That was our, my third. Well, I, I started to play a little bit my second year. We okay. had some injuries, started to get some experience, a little bit more starting time. 
and feeling the game. And that's when I kind of I fell in love with the game again. You know, playing in the NFL was like playing as a kid, even even a little more fun in high school. You know, you play early on the weekend. The game is quick. It's not like it takes all day. You, you have a lot of fun. And it, it, it just reignited my, my love for the game, getting to play my second year that, you know, some of the things I went through my rookie year, just challenges where I was like, I didn't know if I had a future in it. Uh-huh. My second year, I felt like, okay, I can do this. And uh, it just continued to build those opportunities, me taking advantage, trying to do the small things that coaches always highlight, you know, some of the difference making things. And even into my third year, obviously we went to the Super Bowl that year. We had one of my uh, great teammates, like I was saying, KJ, he gets hurt. We played the same position, you know, we came in together, he got hurt. And so I had to step in, uh, I got to step in and finally get another chance to, you know, you show what you've been preparing for. And and when you're having so much success as a team, you feel like you have to maintain that level of performance. You know, you've got to either perform better or perform at that level. It was my goal to step in, be ready and enjoy the time because, you know, I, I think I celebrated every play, I, every tackle I made at that time, because it was uh-huh. like, you don't know, you, you see that as, as an older player, I see that in young players. They, every, it doesn't matter if it was 10 yards downfield or in the backfield, they're celebrating every tackle. And I'm like, you always want to keep that level of love for the game. You always want to keep it in touch. And I think the times that I've struggled in my, in my career, I didn't have that energy. So, you know, it, it's always been a focus of mine now to keep that level of fun and play and kind of detach from the X's and O's and let yourself play. I always say to people, maintain that childlike mindset, that level of enthusiasm that I'm sure you see in your kids every morning that are waking you up before you want to wake up. <laughs> I mean, that's a great point. One of my best coaches, he would say, uh, you need to have the mind of a, a veteran and, and the spirit of a rookie. Yeah. You can play for a long time because that passion and that spirit shows up more watching the game than you knowing the X's and O's. I think that's really cool. And so later that that playoff season, what was that playoff run kind of like, you know, prior to Super Bowl 48? You know, you're, you're getting to play a little bit more. You're getting some unique opportunities. And, and then came Super Bowl 48. What was kind of going through your headspace at that time? You know, then obviously talk about the Super Bowl experience that you had. It's kind of that playoff run. So I had to step in. I got to step in like, I want to say a little bit more than halfway through the season, maybe week nine, and kind of was out there on the field every play from then on. Uh, so it was a big shift in roles. But I think it showed that they trusted me to to, to a certain extent. And I felt good about that. I felt like having the confidence from the, from the coaches and everybody in the building, it helped me. It helped me play at a high level. And I really, I played well. I played free. I played relaxed. I think that's when people play their best. And getting to the Super Bowl was like, you know, we, we, we played the 49ers. Colin Kaepernick was, you know, playing great at the time. Drew Brees, we, we played him. We beat, uh, we beat one another team. I don't know if it was the Falcons or somebody. All these great teams and you get to the Super Bowl and you, you know, we get a chance to play against uh, Peyton Manning and supposedly the greatest offense in history, like uh-huh. a statistic, obviously, um, you know, incredible players, Wes Welker, Peyton Manning, all these receivers and all this creativity on offense. And I felt like during our preparation, we turned on their tape and video and we looked at it and we were like, Oh, let's go. We were licking our chops. Cause I felt like if they played to our advantage, you know, we were a team that played with great speed, decisiveness and aggressiveness and and they hadn't seen anything like that 
mm-hmm. you know, teams that faced them and they were so conservative or afraid almost. They hadn't played against a team that would just cut it loose. And our motto was uh, make them deal with us, right? A lot of times, I don't know if you, you're preparing for competition or a sport, you go into it. And if you start looking at the competition too much, you start changing your game plan and your approach. And it's good to be aware of what the competition is, but when you're really a force, you're a force. Like they've got to deal with you. They've got to feel you. They got to answer to your style, play, aggressiveness, whatever. So it was, it was make them deal with us. And that was kind of the mentality throughout the week. We had two weeks to prepare, which is a ton of time. And we go out and it's like from play one, it's all in our favor. We just cut it loose. And I remember going to that game and feeling like absolutely no nerves, nothing but excitement, like pure excitement. I don't know if I had ever felt it at that point in the NFL because it was like, you're always thinking so much preparing or what the outcome might be there's no there's nothing after this game this mm-hmm. is it this is the game of all games like you <laughs> there's nothing bigger as every game you played in as a kid it kind of leads up to thinking about what this game could be so you could either you know get shell shocked by it or absolutely you absolute euphoric and cut it loose and and that's i think what we did that's what i that's how i played the game i was mm-hmm man on fire out there it was such a such a special moment I just remember watching and I just felt like you were always at the right place at the right time and correct me if I'm wrong but was it two fumble recoveries and one interception no it was it was one interception for a touchdown and one fumble recovery so that's kind of the thing that put me over the edge because we had so many great performances as a team that day Mm -hmm. Uh, there were so many guys that could have won that's why when they said hey we want you to look in this camera and say you're going to Disney World. I was like, <laughs> what? Like, what? what's happening? Are we all going? Is, is everybody doing this? And they were like, no, you're going to be the Super Bowl MVP. And I'm like, you know, out of body experience. Like, what? Yeah. I I, honestly, just I remember we were all watching it and we were screaming at the TV. We were at like tears in our eyes. We pulled out oh. our phone. We were all voting, <laughs> voting, voting, voting. <laughs> I appreciate that. And I feel like that's the only way that you like kind of push through is the votes, the support from the people who love you. And there's so like, I can only imagine getting to watch someone close to me doing that at that time on TV and being like, I know this process. Like I know what it took to get to that point. Mm -hmm. So it was so cool. It was something, obviously it's, I'm, I'm very happy to share that with anybody who's kind of been along for the ride and and seen me kind of come up. That, that was amazing. It's cool, though, because I, I think you deserve that accolade. And I think that, you know, it was like a long time coming of overcoming a lot of peaks and valleys along the way. But what's really cool is that wasn't the end of the story, right? right. The, sto- the story continued and you, right. you've developed even more success. And, you know, you later ended up signing a, a, a pretty solid contract with the Raiders and then an even better contract with the Niners. And I think that's so cool because that's kind of what I've seen, right? Like I think work ethic deserves some sort of compensation and a reward over time. And what's cool is despite all the injuries, you continue to push forward. And it's like to the media world, it's super sexy to say, you know, you won the Super Bowl, you're Super Bowl MVP, but it's so much more than that. Right. right. So it's like, what does it mean to you that like, you know, your career has continued, you're 10 years in, but like at that moment, your Super Bowl MVP, you experience, you know, the highest of the high as a Super Bowl champ. What kind of happened next? 
I felt like I, I was looking for an opportunity to be just a bigger part of my team. Uh, you know, I wanted somebody to kind of back me and support me and give me an opportunity to be the guy as far as linebackers go. Even in Oakland, I don't know if that necessarily was their plan, but it was an open door. Uh-huh. So I felt like, you know, this was a, a great opportunity for me to go there, go to a, a fantastic organization, like all this awesome history. And I would just think like, I can only imagine what it would be like for the Raiders to win like, you know, we did in Seattle. Because my memory of the Raiders, they were never good, except for like one or two years. Uh-huh. And the history before that was just amazing. Mm-hmm. So the Raiders. Of, you know I mean, like you, you, you hear that my our generation doesn't necessarily equate the Raiders with success at this point. Thinking about football, so that was something that you know I wanted to do. I went there. I really, I loved playing in Oakland. I loved the city of Oakland. I loved the uh, the Raider fans. They were they were not not necessarily supportive, but they were so passionate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they showed up. They showed out and. If you had a bad game, they were going to call you on. If you had a great game, you were the best player in the world. Like, you know what I mean? It was so hot or cold. It, it was amazing. But I really appreciated it. And I think that at times I felt like we had it. But, you know, there's only so much you can control as a player. You try to influence as much as you can. And at that time, I didn't really have I wasn't a vocal player as far as uh, pushing guys one way or than another, as far as you know, rallying guys. I wasn't, I wasn't a commander. I was a competitor, but I wasn't commander. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I felt like we had some good seasons, and ultimately they didn't fall in love with me enough to kind of bring me back after those two. So I went to uh, San Francisco, and because I, I felt like you know this is an organization that was building something, they felt like I could be a big part of it at the time, and I, I was excited to go. I, I didn't have to leave the West Coast. I was a little. I was a little concerned because I was such a, a, a Seahawk still in my heart that it would be conflicting because they were, you know, rivalry teams. But the the Niners organization, you know, gave you everything you needed to be a successful player. I just wasn't healthy at the time. I got, I got injured. I don't know if I was. I think I was training too hard. Mm-hmm. I was so focused on making, proving them right, that they had invested in me and that I was worth this amount of money. I think I overtrained. I think I... I, I didn't value my sleep as enough. I was literally waking up to train and train three times a day. And I didn't respect the process of recovery consistently. Uh-huh. Like I, I could feel my myself losing, you know, strength along the way. And I thought, okay, you just work harder. You work harder. The information just wasn't there. This is only a few years ago, but for me, it was like, you got to work harder. You got to prove it. You got to do more and more and more and more and more. You get hurt, you know, you try to come back, you work hard to come back. And some injuries, you can't work harder to come back. They just take time. One of the things we like to share with athletes is uh, more is not better. Better is better. And and I think, you know, Mike G loves to say that. And I think you're definitely practicing that now. For people listening that aren't familiar with your pec injury with the Niners, what, what was that like? It was a torn pec, right? Yeah. So that, That's a tough injury to come back from, man especially in your sport that's so heavily involves pushing and pulling in that capacity. Right. I think we had four days in a row of practice. Uh, Coach Shanahan was new at the time, so his, he was trying to establish an identity, obviously. And I was one of the priority signings, so I was trying to establish my identity as well. I was trying to practice at a game speed every single day. You know what I mean? I went to go. I was on the sideline. It was, it was a scrimmage, and I went to try and punch the ball from the guy's outside arm so punch across his body and I literally I, I tried to 
I tried to punch the ball like, like Mike Tyson. Like I literally put everything I could into the ball and he dipped his head at the same time. And it was like, mm. and, I and I was like, Hmm, this is hmm, mm. not right. And then I, 20 seconds later, I couldn't lift my arm and I was like, ah, oh, man. So that, I mean, that's a season gone right there. Yeah. What's the rehab like for a pec tear? That has to be pretty tough. That's a very, very thick muscle fiber. That's hard to recover. Um, it was probably three months to feel okay. And then the next three months to kind of get your strength back. Mm-hmm. And at the time, even though it was August, that year they didn't allow you to come back from injury at any point. You had to come back within this window. They've changed the rules since then, obviously. It's just one of those things to lose a season on a peck when you had, I mentally had so much riding on that year. I was out to prove so many people right along the way, like, and even some people wrong from, you know, people in Oakland that didn't, you know, want me to come back or people in San Fran that were like, why are we getting this guy? He came from Seattle, blah, blah, blah. Uh I was think I was so externally motivated at the time that I was pushing through instead of listening to my body. Uh-huh. Cause I knew going into that practice, I was like, man, I'm tired. Like I am just exhausted. I probably should tell somebody, but I was trying to be so mentally tough. You know, it ends up backfiring on you. And even uh-huh. the next year coming back after that injury, I'm doing the same thing, training super hard, super hard, super hard. And I hurt my Achilles in the off season training after like the third workout of the day. And I'm like, dang, and it's just lingers. I try to work harder to get it to come back and it lingers and lingers and it takes me like a year for it to even for me to feel like I can run again. So those few years is just learning. You got to listen to the body. Like this is a performance. This is I'm doing unnatural things with my body here. I'm pushing it to limits. Uh-huh. And at that moment, too, like, you know, you're, you're you're probably weighing heavily like, man, Kobe wasn't quite the same with after his Achilles injury, you know, all these guys, you know, it's hard to come back from an Achilles injury. Did you reach out to Mike G at all at that time? He, he definitely likes the concept of working in versus mm-hmm. working out. You know, what was the working in process for you mentally at that time? I was so hurt because I was working out or training with Mike before that injury. And he was there along the way. Like he told me to go get it checked out and the team didn't know at the time when I heard it in the summertime, I had to tell them later, they probably could have helped me, but I was so in a hole and, and afraid and looking down this tunnel of like all the things that could go wrong. Mm-hmm. that I didn't see it like that. I couldn't take a step back and, and do what was best. But yeah, Mike, you know, obviously he's all about loading the tendon and getting it used to all these maneuvers, but it also, it just needs rest to recover sometimes. And I'm mm-hmm. really pushing it balls to the wall. I, I wasn't thinking about anything other than, performing football like it wasn't about rest it wasn't about I wasn't getting treatment at the time I wasn't getting I wasn't even getting massage consistently I wasn't I wasn't hydrating I wasn't sleeping it was all about the work instead of Mm -hmm. that part of the work that goes so much further than what I was doing in those training hours so it was tough it was a tough stretch it was hard I learned from it though absolutely man and so what was that like? You know, we, we, we saw Paul George in the NBA go a little bit vocal with, you know, how some of the naysayers and the trolls on social media and Instagram and Twitter were, were, were just kind of ripping him a new one, which obviously isn't fair, right? We all have a story that others know absolutely nothing about. What was that like for you with this, this very, I'm going to label it as aggressive development of social media usage 
Yeah. And like you guys, you know, as professional athletes kind of needing to do that to build your brand a little bit and maintain, you know, sponsorship type relations, you know, but obviously you're, you're getting blown up from people that are not being nice, to be honest, like they're just, right. you know, say they're being trolls. What, what was right. that experience kind of like for you? Um, I feel like I learned to separate. I tried to get away from it as much as I could. But at the same time, somehow it weeds its way through. Like, you know, it's it's some it's gonna find its way to you sometime. If you if you even you, you can't get on the stuff without seeing the stuff, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So even if you go a stretch of time without it, and then you log back in and people are saying whatever they want, whatever they thought at the moment, um, the worst things they thought, it, it kind of gets to you. So you can't engage most of the time. I try not to engage most of the time and, and uh-huh. until it's the off season or, or mentally I'm in a space where I don't care, or I just, I'm not, I'm not even going to see that other side of the stuff, but I can imagine for, for, or you, anybody can imagine for a player like him, who's gone through coming back from injury, nobody, nobody, he had two shoulder surgeries last year. Like uh-huh. <laughs> as a basketball player, he goes through all this, a new team, playing an entirely new role, trying to trying to figure out how he fits in the system. We want things to happen instantly. We want uh-huh. them to, to go from the beginning. It, it just doesn't work like that. So you got to be able to separate, especially people online, the trolls, they're not in the arena. The man, the man in the arena is the one controlling, you know, you when you step in there, you step behind whatever, you're the one in control. Uh-huh. No, I think that's a great way to describe it. And Obviously, huge shout out to Paul George, too. He's from kind of where we're from, Palmdale, as I think where he's from. So shout out to him, which is kind of cool. I mean, there's a lot of NBA players that are that are from the L.A. area. I mean, you look at like the best Russell Westbrook, DeMar DeRozan, Kawhi, Paul George. Like there's some there's some big names out there, man, that are from, you know, that the the same area that we're kind of from. And you saw you saw these guys firsthand as teenagers. Right. Dude, they, they, DeMar DeRozan was like going through the legs when I was in like eighth grade. And I was just like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you and I can also look back to some of those like Taft in-house dunk contests. You look at Eugene and, you know, some of those guys were just like jumping through the roof. Like it, we, we were very spoiled as high schoolers, man, seeing all the talent that came through Taft. Yeah, the LA area is loaded. Our high school is loaded. Um, it really is, man. And I mean, you're, you're a huge part of that story. And so, you know, you, you eventually decided that, you know, you were going to continue to keep trucking along. You faced quite a bit of adversity in San Francisco, and then they decided to let you go. And then, you know, where, where were you mentally there? And then, you know, what kind of happened next in the Malcolm Smith story? You know, what's crazy is they tried to let me go earlier. And I basically was like, no, no, I'm coming back. <laughs> I'm coming back and I'm coming back to prove, you know, what it is, but they had moved on. I went to training camp with them and they kind of cut me after the last, the third preseason game, thinking they were doing me a favor, giving me a chance to kind of get back out there. And I just hadn't played enough in the previous two seasons to get, to be a hot name at the time. So uh-huh. I had to wait, I think eight weeks and the Jacksonville Jaguars called. And at this time I'm like, you know, this would have, this is my, eighth and ninth season so I could hang it up like it could be over you know mm-hmm. I've come far I've had plenty of injuries I've made enough money I don't have to keep playing why subject yourself to this this kind of this stuff anymore mm-hmm. um and even then I was like I mean I don't know if I want to go to Jacksonville and 
have to kind of start all the way over. I got to work out for scouts and they got to see me perform with guys who are 21, 22 years old coming out of the draft or, you know, uh, undrafted picks. And I went, I had, there was a, a guy on the staff that I was familiar with. They, they signed me kind of like, Hey, we need a guy. And I thought, you know, you know, maybe this will be a legitimate opportunity for me to, you know, step in and play. And they didn't have any plans of doing that. So I got there and I'm like, watching, watching guys play linebacker that I know very, very clearly that I've got the knowledge and ability to go out and do, you know, I think I do a better job. I'm just not getting the opportunity. So whatever, I was like, okay, I'm going to do my three games. I'm going to get my season and, you know, we'll see where it goes from there. They cut me after two weeks. I didn't get my third game. Wow. I'm like, dude, I needed one game and they cut me. I don't get my pension for the year. I don't get all these benefits, my insurance, my, you know, all the stuff that goes into playing that you don't want to pay for. And so I come back home and Nisa's like, I don't know. It might be over. What are we going to do otherwise? Like, I don't know. I'll go, maybe I'll go to school or something. I'm going to stay in shape for the rest of the season. See if someone calls, you never know. And some weeks go by. And I get to uh, get the call from Dallas, who one of my old coaches was coaching at the time. They're like, hey, we had somebody go down. We've got some pretty big games coming up. We're going to want you to play. And I'm like, okay, sure. So I go there. They don't really, they don't waste any time. They throw me right in the fire. I'm like, dude, I've been chilling. Mm -hmm. I'm not ready. I go out. We played, we played on a, a primetime game against the Eagles. And I'm like playing 70 plays. And I hadn't played football in a year. And I'm like, <laughs> Well, I guess it's back it, but the fire is lit, mm -hmm. and it had me, it got me going again. You know what they say: if you stay ready, ready, you don't need to get ready. Exactly. I, luckily, I was ready to do it because if I wasn't, it could have been bad. It could have been really bad. What did it feel like to uh, suit up for the Cowboys? You know, it's a it's kind of a famous t famous team. Got the big star on the helmet. You know, big stadium. What was that kind of like? It's different. You're definitely a, a superstar in Texas. Like you're a cowboy. You're a superstar. I didn't. I didn't really leave the, the four or five mile radius of the practice facility, but everywhere I went, it was like, "Oh, uh, are you a cowboy?" Or you know, they give you that look. You go to a restaurant. It's just everything is about football in Texas. About the Cowboys. I could see how you could get a little detached from the real world playing there for a long time, and you're larger than life there. It, uh -huh. it was interesting. They have they do tours through the locker room, like like a museum tour. Oh, wow. That's the cool. Food, like the cafeteria, they have trophies everywhere. It's literally like you're in a museum uh -huh. and the players are walk out of the weight room or the locker room to go eat or go to a meeting. And the fans will be there in like these groups with a, with a, like someone leading the group. And they'll be like, there's, there's a player, but they can't say anything. The, they've been told that they can't speak to the players. They can't say anything. So they just kind of stare at you and they wave a little bit. <laughs> you really feel like you're a human zoo animal, but wow, it's, it's the craziest thing. I, I don't think most people understand what it's like because you can't describe it. You're literally, I was a, a lion at the zoo. They would look at me, they would wave every now and then someone would shout, but mm -hmm. it's those guys experience that every day. Dallas wow. I'm sure there, there's positives and negatives to, to that entire experience. And how did you ultimately get the get get the opportunity with the Cleveland Browns? So another, another just a relationship. While I was in Dallas, one of the coaches there, he was like, you know, I really respect the way you came in here. You know, you came in humbly. You worked hard. You committed yourself. It was only two, three weeks. It was the end of the season. 
but he said, um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we'll see each other in the future. So the Browns went through their whole offseason, their draft, the free agents, everybody to sign all these guys and they're in training camp and um, they had somebody get injured. And I, and I guess I was, you know, on the short list of players. And I was like, hey, I'm, I'm at this point, I was like, I'm not really thinking about it going back. This is nine months after the last season had ended. I still was running. I still was in shape because it's just I couldn't not do it. Uh-huh. So I was ready. I went there for a workout and I was like, I don't want to get the run around. You know, let's just be honest. They were like, no, we're, get, we're get, you're going to be here. And I'm like, all right, whatever. Go join the team. And um, it's just an open door, an opportunity. You know, there was they wanted they wanted to give me a chance to play. And I just tried to make the most of it every single day. You know, every day I would tell Anissa, she would call me and be like, hey, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't know if we're going to be here in a week, babe, but I'm going to just keep working like, you know, like a rookie. I, uh-huh. I hear myself to think like a young player again. Uh, it was good to kind of experience the world as a young player without all the extra in life. Like I lived in a hotel. I lived a mile away from the facility. I'm, I'm, I'm working out I'm sleeping. I hydrated competitively. Like I was the most hydrated I'd ever been in my life. <laughs> I really feel like it made a huge difference. And I just played free. It was, it was a time for me to be like, you know what? nothing's really riding on this you know let me just go be myself Mm -hmm. it was able to help us go far well i'm just so proud of you man just capitalizing on opportunities and just along for the adventure and you know along your way made a made a pretty cool story for uh outsiders and fans like me to uh have you on a podcast and and pick your brain a little bit you you've been nothing shy of just a true professional you know every every step of the way it's been pretty cool and it, it the consistency along your relationships has just bled into more opportunities for you. And I know it will continue to bleed into more opportunities for you. What's next kind of in your football career. You think you're going to come back one more year or you think you're kind of ready to play with some other things. You're kind of just leaving that door open still. I'm going to stay in shape. I'm going to stay hydrated. I mean, I love the game so much, the details of it, the, the, the preparation, the, all the small things that go into it. I, I love it. So we'll see what happens. I'm ready to play. I think I think we'll have a good opportunity to play next year. And I would love to go back to Cleveland if that was an opportunity too. So cool. we'll see what's up. Cool, man. Well, I look forward to watching you. But I do want to kind of lead into some of the things that you're playing with off the field. I, I, I really love some of the things that you've done, you know, throughout this uh, global pandemic, just really encouraging people to vote. And, you know, kind of taking a stance and a leadership role within the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, what does that kind of mean to you, you know, kind of being a leader in, in, in that space? And, you know, what are some of the things that you would like to see with regards to changes within our country? I think I, I think it's about just seeing other people's situations and, and being empathetic and seeing things from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the most important thing. You know, you, you look back at the history of uh, uh blacks in america and there's just so many um just forms of of having to battle against just forces of whether that be the law education uh, opportunity and all these different facets and, and the effects are just so far reaching that mm-hmm. it might not be clear to everybody how deep things go mm-hmm. so I, th- I think it's awesome that everybody's kind of taking a second to look at where the world stands, how we got here, and kind of assess, okay, how can we make things fairer moving forward? 
uh-huh. or, or or less combative for certain people because we're we're in an awesome country it shouldn't be hard all the time uh-huh. there's so much opportunity for us to lean into each other and learn from one another and black people have so much that they've added to the fabric of this country that it does deserve to be highlighted it's always just been important to me to have a uh a sense of appreciation for what you know all cultures have added to the situation we're in uh-huh. i think that everybody should to, should do that very cool man we had a guest uh, by the name of burn prince he's one of our coaches at our facility in boston mm-hmm. and he's heading what's called the invictus boston invitational and it's all about just equality when you enter into the gym everybody should be included within that space. And I definitely think maybe post-football career, there could be some synergy there for you guys to kind of collaborate and connect. And, you know, we'll see how you throw around the barbell at that time. (laughs) I'd be down though. You know, this is competing and stuff. So I want to jump in with her. She'll head some of my workouts this summer in the garage. Yeah, it'll be be some fun stuff to see. What are you doing kind of with this concept of color of change? Color of Change is actually a, a Taft alum, uh, Jade. She she has a new last name. She's married now. She's, you know, an important figure at Color of Change. And she kind of brought them to to my awareness through through Monty and some of the work that she's done and stuff she's posted. And I went to their website and I just peeked around and just saw the initiatives they have. And it's really just trying to make a better place in America for Black people. Like, there, uh-huh. there, there are people that are struggling lack of information, lack of opportunity, and lack of fairness. So they're combating that on, on every front they can. They're vigilant about it. And and, it, it, and it's fun to see people support that of all colors. So Color Change is definitely, you know, a group that I can get behind. I love seeing what they're doing and supporting where I can. Absolutely, man. And then finally, you're kind of leaning a little bit into this entertainment space. Yeah, you and you know, gentleman Monty, who we've mentioned a little bit, mm-hmm. um, have kind of created full circle entertainment. What are what are some of the things that you guys have done with them, and what are you guys? What's the vision for for the company? Well, I mean, Monty's been in the entertainment space for probably eight nine years now, so uh-huh. he's got a long list of credits. He's he's worked with incredible people. His family is deeply rooted in the industry. I always enjoyed you know going up to his uncle's studio and, and kind of seeing the way the show is made. You know. There's like very few people who get to do that. And it it was something that became just a part of our existence being young. And he's really leaned into it and kind of brought us into the foray and understanding, okay, how far do these things go? I think when we think about media, it's everywhere now, but it's so influential. Some people don't, they don't read, they don't, you know, pick up newspapers. Well, they don't pick up newspapers. You don't, you, your, your sources of information might only be through, through video um, on certain applications or wherever. So there's so much room to uh, make a difference, tell stories. And and we've been kind of leaning into the sports space and trying to tell the stories of awesome athletes and trying to partner there and, and find some some people who, who will uh, help us get our message out. And they've been doing a great job of while I'm playing during the season, you know, taking meetings and trying to get our message further and further and further and see how many people we can reach. So Hopefully, you know, we got some some projects coming. We, we've signed some cool deals and had some stuff on the table. So hopefully some uh, you see some stuff from us soon. Nice, man. Well, I, I'm really excited to see some of those projects t- come to fruition. I mean, you know, th- taking a moment to kind of reflect on the late, great Kobe, you know, he was storytelling in his space. You know, I shared with you a little bit of, of my vision to kind of share the story of some very high performers on the Invictus Mindset podcast. And 
I'm really excited to see what's to come with Full Circle Entertainment. Oh yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to discuss some of the some of the cool stuff we can do. Absolutely, man. If you could leave a note to the world or a message on a billboard, what would you like to share with the world about Malcolm Smith? Oh man, I I, I guess I've always just tried to make leave things better than you found them. I think that's a good message for everyone. Everyone can do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Leave things better than you found it whether that be the environment, your community, your, your relationships, because everything comes to an end because your life comes to an end, you know? Mm-hmm. So what, what can you do to leave things in a better place? What can you do to share? I think that's probably a pretty good message. Nice, man. I, I appreciate your time, your effort, and holding this space to connect with me. It's so good to see you, man. You haven't aged a bit. <laughs> You're st- still looking young, still got that classic smile. When you see the crew, please tell them I say hello. Please give my love to Anissa and your family. And uh, lastly, you got the Chiefs or the Bucks. Who you think is going to pull it out? I mean, since we lost to the Chiefs, I hope the Chiefs win because then I can say, you never know, we could have done it. Uh, <laughs> um, but Tom Brady's been amazing to watch, man. He's, I just pull so much from him as a competitor uh even though it's you have to if you if you try to do anything in life then you should look at tom brady and have respect for him absolutely so 10 super bowls man like there's there's something to be said about that i mean he's running out of fingers (laughs) literally it's good stuff man take care of yourself be safe for those of you guys listening if you enjoyed this episode please do not be afraid to rate review subscribe share with your friends and as we always say stay on the hunt for who you've not yet become I'll see you soon, Malcolm. I like that.